Hello and a very warm welcome to our passion part. It is my great pleasure to welcome a new guest here, Abhishek Pada from India. Hi, Abhishek. Thank you, Aurelia, for having me. It's, It's a pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Lovely to see you. Abhishek, I always start with asking an odd question, such as when you got to Switzerland, what was the first thing that you saw that seemed you know, particularly Swiss to you or that impressed you or that was different than what you had expected? Well, really, the first thing I saw in terms of art in this trip in Switzerland wasn't something very Swiss, but something very Indian. I went to the Rietberg and I saw some amazing miniatures that they were showing from the Deccan. Very nice. The Rietberg is beautiful. Such a beautiful museum. It's your first time in Switzerland, no, right? No, or no, no. It's your first I come time here every year. I didn't realize that. When was the first time you were here, ever? I think when I was seven or eight. Oh, really? Yeah. So you know, the Reed, you know the Reedbeck well? Well, I can't say I've been visiting the Reedbeck ever since then. But yes, the last <laughs> 10 years or so, I have been visiting it regularly. Awesome. So are you now, with, that was just warm-up chatter, just to, so we can talk a little bit. <clears throat> Abhishek, the reason that we are here together is that uh, our good friends at the Asia Society a few months ago suggested that we, that we meet. Um, We were brought in contact because, you know, your planned visit that is now actually happening, which is wonderful due to Corona. We weren't so sure, of course. Um, we really started chatting about possibly doing a conversation between the two of us for Asia Society, which couldn't take place because I wasn't here. But now I'm lucky enough to have you on the podcast with me like this. Why don't you, in your own words, start by just introducing your passion for art, where it comes from, how do you live it now? So really this started um, long, long back. I can't even remember exactly when. Um, I guess I've always lived around art, been born in a family which had a lot of art. My parents enjoyed it. I, um, I tried my hand at it, but I must say I was terrible. Really? So uh, <laughs> it's the hand-eye coordination that I don't think is particularly good in my case, though I enjoy art a lot. Um, I was very young in school when I had the good fortune of meeting some of the leading artists of the day, and we became friends, and one thing led to another. I started visiting them, going to exhibitions together, traveling with them, and collecting their work. Uh, from modern and contemporary art, it branched out into things like photography and design and mm -hmm. folk and tribal indigen indigenous art, textiles, craft and design. And before one knew it, one had some of the finest teachers and gurus in my life. Mm. So it was really serendipity that got it there. And uh, I think right now what I'm spending my time doing is building the museum that I'm doing in Bangalore. And... Uh, I also realized that not everybody was as fortunate to have this kind of exposure to the arts. And we felt maybe in India, we need to start inculcating a museum going culture, which doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So that's really the reason behind MAP or the Museum of Art and Photography. How do we make it reach everyone and break the perception that it's elitist as mm -hmm. it's sometimes perceived to be in India, that it's not for everyone. And, you know, coming to the West and especially Switzerland, where almost everybody in some way is involved with the arts, why shouldn't a country like India, which has a 10,000-year-old history, also do the same? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think what you're, you're pointing to an important notion that art is elitist. I, I, I do realize that it might be more, that the perspective might be more so uh, still existent in some places. I do think in the Western world still as well. And we, we also try to introduce people to the arts in a different way, right? Even going to a gallery can be a little bit yeah, almost frightening, right? It's such a wide cube space. It is. It is. It might be a bit foreign. The art works world still is a bit opaque. How you do know, you... really, I would say art collecting can be elitist. Yes, but art is not elitist. I agree with you. Yeah, and I think that's the difference we need to make. Yeah, if we feel that to enjoy a piece of art you have to own it, then of course you're not going to speak to many people. Absolutely. And uh, it might be intimidating to go into a space which seems where you've got to be totally silent. You yeah. have to nod at the right works. You've got to spend the exact amount of time. So all this can <laughs> seem intimidating, but I don't think we have to really go down that path. It's just how do you make art fun? How do you make it inspirational? How do you make it excite and tickle everybody's curiosity yeah and there are other ways to do that yeah do you remember the first work that impressed you in that way you were probably pretty young then because you said that you were growing up around art i'd be lying and i have to make it up because i won't remember exactly which was the first <laughs> work that did that to me i i'm asking because <clears throat> my my passion for art was born in front of a very particular piece although same I grew up around art but there was one really that sparked my interest but I think what you're saying is so much connected to it the experience of it right not having yeah. this fearful uh, almost I don't know this foreign experience with it where it's other and you have to adore it but you're really having a possibility of connecting with art. you know also I mean I'm speaking from an Indian perspective because that's what I observe very closely mm -hmm. uh We have amazing art in some of our Indian museums. Yeah. But the museum experience is not what you would like to repeat again and again. Yeah. And as a result, you end up going to a museum as a child when you're taken from your school. Right, of course. And it almost scars you from going to another museum again. I, I and agree. And the funny thing is every time you travel overseas, you would stand in queues, go to the museum, learn about the culture of that place, see the art, And spend two or two and a half hours enjoying yourself immensely. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't that happen in a country like India? I completely agree. Yeah. And some of the greatest exhibitions of Indian art I've actually seen at museums in the West mm -hmm. and not in our own country. Really? Uh -huh. Which is sad. Why do you think that is? I think it's partly got to do with patronage. It's partly got to do with interest. It's also partly got to do with the scholarship and the way it's presented. Mm -hmm. And if you come to think of where do most of our great historians and scholars, there aren't opportunities in terms of jobs for them in India as much. There are very few universities. There are very few courses. There are very few opportunities that people have. And when you look at most of the great historians who have done research and written books, unfortunately, many of them come from the West. Yeah. And uh, they stay back in the West because those opportunities don't exist in India. Mm -hmm. But that needs to change. Mm -hmm. I would say that partly it might have to do with the economic prosperity of a country. And when 
that starts happening, then people start giving it a lot more importance. Mm -hmm. And I think India is well poised to do that now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, considering what where we should have been, we are not there as yet. Mm -hmm. When you shared information about your very impressive project with me, I was particularly intrigued by the diversity of the art that it will house, that will inhabit that space. The breadth of, of you know, the time span, the different medium, the different, um, yeah, just the different ways that you will really fully embrace art. That was, that, that really, really, really struck me. Even in, you know, a, a, a short form presentation, I'm sure when entering the space, it will be incredibly well, heightened. The collection is actually spanning about 2,000 years. Yeah. Um, Well, India spans many times 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, this is a humble new beginning mm -hmm. for a museum. It's not the greatest collection. It's a collection that me and my family put together. It yeah. started with that. We've been very fortunate that many other collections have now joined MAPS collection because we've received them as gifts. Yeah. But we do hope that what we can do through education, through outreach, through the different programs that we are doing, our digital offerings, that we start making a difference and we start engaging with many, many more people. Yeah. And they start finding the relevance and importance of art in their daily lives. Yeah. Um, one thing that stood out to me in, in the conversation so far is that your approach to, to showing art and also making it an experience-based encounter, uh, that seems to be really strong. How is that going to um, show up? How is it going to, going to um, be realized in your, in your museum? So I think partly, Aurelia, we've been able to do that digitally, mm -hmm. but it would change completely when it becomes a physical space. Um, although once we do open physically next year, we are, it's going to be hybrid. It's going to always have a physical museum and always have a digital museum. Beautiful. It's just that the number of people you can reach. Of course. And the other big difference we realize, you know, we didn't even know what going digital meant mm -hmm. until we were forced to do it last yeah. year. And the big difference is our auditorium in the museum would be able to seat about 125, 130 people. But our digital launch was watched by 70,000 people. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, the other big difference was uh, the hesitance to enter a building yeah. versus entering a digital space. Yeah. There is no intimidation. Even if it is a white cube, you're seeing it on your laptop in familiar surroundings, you might find entering a palace or a place that you're not familiar with or the hesitancy of how do you find your way around, the moment it's digital, all those barriers drop. Yeah. And you do it in the comfort of your home at whatever time zone and wherever in the world you are. Yeah. So I think that has been a big learning for us. Uh, we are learning as we are going along. And I think this is only the beginning of digital the way we are even doing exhibitions and interactive programs is going to change. This is first generation. And the advancements we would see even a year down the road would make whatever we did seem like a teddy bear's picnic. So I'm sure yeah. that things would really, really go forward here. 
The good part is MAP being a new museum, we don't have baggage, we don't have a legacy, and we are happy to experiment and try new things yeah. and make it exciting and relevant for people. And big deal, if it doesn't work out that way, we will try Adjust. and do it another way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're also fortunate in a way that, I mean, a lot of museums that we speak to here are museum directors, curators, um, even going back and you know, digitizing all of their collection is a massive undertaking, right? Like even even the sort of all of it that has to happen to even catch up from a from a completely curatorial perspective. In that way, you're also uh, entering at a good moment, no matter what comes now. And I was with a friend uh, over this past weekend um, who works really deeply, deeply, deeply in VR in you know kind of that that area and i think the possibilities that are going to present itself there oh, are tremendous tremendous yeah. and you see being based in bangalore yeah which is where all the tech companies for india are headquartered Incredible. it made imminent sense for us sure. to have technology as a very key function or a very key component in everything we do and that's resulted in map labs which is where art and technology meet and um We are doing stuff with many companies. Yeah. I'll give you one or two examples. So Accenture came forward and we've done a digital twin, an AI-powered digital twin of the artist M.F. Hussain, who passed away about 10, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And you can have an experience as in an in-person experience with Hussain where you can ask him a question and he responds back to you in real time in his voice as if he's standing there and with all the gestures that he would normally be making. Incredible. And it's brilliant because so many people have not had the chance to interact with him yeah. directly. Yeah. And this was to be an in-person experience on a holographic stage. And we realized because of the pandemic, it's going to be maybe a year or year and a half down the road when we open. So we've now made it an online experience. So anyone can go on to the MAP website and have a chat with Hussein. Mm -hmm. Though it's a deep fake, we have made sure to record only that stuff that he has actually said in his life. Wow. So nothing that he says is what we are asking him to yeah, say. Yeah, okay. So like that, we are doing something with um, VR and even with Microsoft. Yeah. This is for our textile project, which is going to be launched in the early part of next year. So there are lots of exciting things that we can do. What do you think of NFTs? I can't say I have too much of an opinion, but uh, I'm trying to understand this very complex uh, tool or offering. But what I do believe it's here to stay. As much as we don't understand, we may not understand it right now. There's a totally different world out there, mm. and uh, it is again democratizing art in a certain sense. It's the shift from old master paintings to modern and contemporary. This is another such a shift. And uh, there may be some rationalization that happens, some balancing that happens, but it's better for us to embrace it before we get left behind. Yeah. So we are, in fact, from even a museum standpoint, engaging with artists, and we have a few things that we are talking about I can't say that we know exactly when that'll happen, but um, we want to do it not because it's 
a fad and therefore we do it. We want to do it after understanding what we can do, making sure that it's going to be ethically correct in terms of even the copyright issues and not just to tick the box, but to actually believe in it and then do it. Mm, that's a very good approach. And again, very early for the development of NFTs too. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. But I agree with you, they're here to stay. I definitely think so too, yeah. Um, commissioned works, it kind of goes hand in hand with what we just touched on. Um, how are you approaching that? Do you commission work to take place in that particular area that you're inhabiting? hybrid between digital experience, broadening the audience in that way, but also having a physical component? When you're, when you're talking about commission works, you're talking about giving artists commissions? Yes, and doing something specifically for the format of your museum. So yes, there are commission works in terms of uh, site-specific works or exhibitions that, uh, or projects that artists are undertaking or artists' collectives are doing. Um, When it came to commissioning works, I think as a private collector, there were lots of commissions that one did. As a museum, we would be able to do that provided we have the patronage to be able to finance that. Sure. Uh, or if there's a particular exhibition that we are embarking and there is something you want to say. The one concern and problem with commissioned works is you are imagining something, the artist is imagining something else. Of course, yeah. And not always do the two of them match. And uh, it's maneuvering that space that becomes a challenge if the understanding is not completely there. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a risk involved, but uh, personally, I've always had a good experience with commission works. And it's the relationship that you have with the artist and the trust you place in the artist that has rarely let me down. Mm. Mm. How do you find the artists? I'm not sure if I find the artist or the artist find me. <laughs> yeah. uh, initially, of course, one went with the artist one had heard about. But it's an ecosystem where an artist will tell you about another artist, somebody would write to you, somebody else would recommend. So I think earlier it was me going out and looking for artists. Now I think it's the other way around. Mm. Very nice. I think something that is still left for me to ask that I would really like to, to know, because the, the podcast in its format is about passion, right? And a remarkable thing, and, and, and you know, the, the areas we touched on already in this format were music making, filmmaking, art, visual art in that in that sense um is the question of what keeps you going this never-ending thirst for more passion for the material this this sort of you know that there isn't yet a final stage reached not for you clearly you're incredibly passionate about this where does that come from i don't know i think it is um What do you get passionate about? Something which adds meaning to your life, which adds purpose to your life. Something which doesn't seem like a chore or work. I can tell you, Aurelia, I've been, I think the last six years that this museum project has been consuming me, almost to the extent of taking up 90% of my time. I'm sure. 
my businesses have fortunately been professionally run, so they don't require too much of my time. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I have the luxury to give it this. But it's been deeply satisfying. I think it's um, the learning that I'm experiencing, what I get to see, what I get to, the people I get to meet, the relationships that I've made. And um, I feel there's no other way I would have ever gotten even a small percentage of this had I not embarked on this. Mm -hmm. So it's hugely gratifying. And even though there's so much of my time, so much of the collection and so much money that has gone into it, I think it's been a very good deal. <laughs> if you could travel back to yourself at early 20s maybe or, <clears throat> you know, around that age, is there something you wish you had known then that you know now? You know, the problem with hoping life was another way is um, then life wouldn't have been this way. So I think there's there's nothing that I can say I wish had happened differently or um, anything that I regret or anything that I would change. I've had a blessed life. And I guess every other step that you take might have led you to a totally different destination. So I'm glad I've been very happy with the journey so far. Would you say to the young people listening now, if they're considering going into art, I think I know the answer, but I'm still going to ask it. If they're considering going into art in the many ways that that can take place, right? As a curator, as an artist themselves, as a collector, as a lover, as just a participant, what would you say? Do it? Absolutely. I mean, allow yourself to let art take over. Yeah. Uh, go with little expectation, but just go with the flow. Mm -hmm you won't be disappointed. You will find yourself amazed as to how it can change your life, mm -hmm. inspire you, invigorate you, and make you do stuff that, or experience life in a way that you had never imagined before. Mm -hmm. It's done that to me, and it keeps doing that to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's a recent example of just this feeling of fueledness and inspiration by a piece of art? I mean, take for example even what happened when COVID started and we thought the world's coming to an end. <laughs> yeah. And I said, there go the plans for the museum when India had a terrible time yeah. and our lockdowns were very severe. And you, you read a little bit about it in the press in terms of our migrant labor and stuff. Of course, yeah. And um, when we said, okay, how are we going to open the museum? And we decided to go digital. We didn't know what it meant, but even the learning of how to do it that way. Considering the fact that I think when we opened, we ended up being the first museum to launch digitally in the world. Everybody had moved digital, but nobody had launched digitally. Yeah. And uh, it, there was such a thrill in doing something new and learning and have the whole team excited, yet we were nervous because we didn't know what we were doing. There was no rule book to go by. Sure, yeah. So I think that itself was such a thrill. That was so exciting to look at what technology can do. I remember this conversation when we were looking at doing the launch 
And um, a friend of mine says, but what are you planning to do for it? And we said, you know, we'll have these speakers and these performers and this. So he said, but how do you make a memory when you see something on Zoom? It's a good question. And do you remember anything? You might remember the conversation, but it's so blurry in your head that how do you even make memory? How do you register it? Mm -hmm. So I said, well, if that's the way we're going to make memories going forward. So he's saying, but there is a way. You make a memory because you do something differently and you make it much more real. So I said, what, what do you mean? And how would you suggest we go about it? So he said, why don't you do it in the museum? And I said, but the museum is not ready. It's got, it's a shell. It's a construction site. So he said, well, technology can make you build the building even though it doesn't exist. So do your launch within the museum. And I hadn't even conceived that that was possible. Mm -hmm. And we actually got a team together who took our plans, converted them into what the building might look like. Of course, it took us forever to get it right the way we wanted it. And then there were going to be 12 hosts taking you around the building so that the levels of complexities we put on ourselves were so much, but it was hugely exciting and learning. So like that, there are things that happen all the time. Fantastic. That is fantastic. And it must have been so gratifying. No? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And especially when, you know, you get, I must have received between calls, messages and emails, at least seven, eight hundred of them I'm sure. after our opening. And it was amazing the response that mm -hmm. we got. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Any one particular response that stood out? Well, one from somebody right here in Switzerland. Yeah. Rolf Felbaum, the chairman of Vitra. Uh, he also happens to sit on our advisory panel, International Advisory Board. And he called me about a week after that and he said, you know, Abhishek, it normally takes 15 to 20 years to build a reputation for a new institution. And you've already done that. And, you know, coming from a museum that I've always looked up to as a design house and for both architecture and research and technology that Vitra has shown and to come from somebody who I've admired so much where he's returning the compliment in such a manner. So I think, yeah, that was very gratifying. That's wonderful. Compliments. Thank you. Abhishek, before I let you go, I do have one last question that relates a bit to the museum and as it's perceived on an international scale too. Um, especially in an environment where we're all finding a bit of saturation point with online experiences. How do you stay relevant? How do you make something... Um, you rightfully said making memories is so important, right? How do you create an atmosphere and an environment where that can take place? where you're really contributing to the conversation and to the experience? I think there are various ways to do this, Aurelia, and thank you for this question. I think one is, um, you know, boundaries are disappearing. Mm -hmm. It need not be, this is Swiss, this is French, this is German, this is Indian, this is American. Yeah. And uh, the last 18 months have shown us that 
no matter where we are, we can be connected like we've never been before. Uh, it's also the age of collaboration yeah. and of learning from one another. And I think embracing that entire thing about collaborating, becoming relevant, learning, and removing these boundaries, many times these boundaries are only in our mind. So whether it be doing projects together, I mean, for MAP, we have now, we are doing things with about 40 different arts institutions around the globe. Mm -hmm. uh, we've engaged with museums in South America, South Africa, Benin. I mean, I'm not talking about Europe and the US and the Far East because those would be obvious, but in all kinds of places. Yeah. We are engaging with artists, art collectives. So it's not, I mean, why is Burgos speaking to an Indian museum? That's a question that I should ask back to you. Yeah. <laughs> how, how is it relevant for you? Why are you speaking to us? Well, I think that for us, I mean, first of all, we have to thank our friends at the Asia Society for making the connection and the introduction, of course. But I do think we we really, you know, our slogan even as a bank is beyond money. We always try to look beyond. I think it's incredibly relevant. I think if we stay within our frame of reference, the for mentioned saturation point will be reached fast so yeah, that it's sorry go when, for it. when you look at switzerland yeah the amount of interest there is and the kind of collections i find from around Incredible. the world over here exactly buddhist art yeah indian art yeah. african art yeah. and these are not obvious connections that you would think of so boundaries and barriers exist in our mind mm. and it's time to let them go absolutely that's a beautiful way to end it's absolutely time to let them go Avishek I can't thank you enough for this delightful insightful and absolutely warm and honest conversation thank, thank you, you so Aurelia much. it's been a pleasure being here and thank you for a lovely conversation thank you so very much and we thank you guys, as always, so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this and we will be back with more soon. Bye-bye.